The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. This show is sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For high-quality printed t-shirts, coasters, placemats, mugs and drinks containers, stickers and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie for a no-obligation quote. You can find CDS Print and Design on Instagram, Facebook and now Etsy. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can subscribe to donate just £3 per month the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. A target of 30 subscribers is the aim, and with your help, I know that's more than possible. The goal is to be able to release bonus content to subscribers and to get Haunted UK Podcast merchandise out there and available to all you amazing listeners. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here's the name of an amazing person who's donated to the show recently. Huge thanks to you, Andy Ellums. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips and even creepy unexplained disappearances. If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there which I know you'll want to check out. So without any further delay, let's get this episode started. It was around midnight one evening, and I was sat watching television downstairs in the living room, when I suddenly and completely unexpectedly became very aware that I wasn't alone. The whole atmosphere inside the house became cold and dark, and I had a horrible feeling that something from outside had got into the house and was now in the room with me. Diana Hodson, witness to multiple paranormal events at her house.
This is episode 26 of season 3 of the Haunted UK podcast. And in this episode, we'll be looking at two cases of haunted houses and the families who lived in them. Central London, 1986, and the Hodson family were beginning to get tired of their existence living in one of the busiest cities in the world. Daniel Hodson was a highly successful and respected finance director working for a major company. His job, as with so many, carried huge pressures and he was finding that he was bringing more and more work home and spending less and less time with his wife Diane and their young two-year-old daughter Susanna. things needed to change. The workload had to change, the routine had to change, but most of all, their location had to change. Daniel's job was extremely well paid and this allowed the family to think about relocating, but the house in the area had to be right. They began searching for a new home with the view of trying to get out of the city and into a village on the outskirts of London. A viewing came up for a large Victorian manor house in Sussex and this seemed, on the face of it, to be the perfect fit for the family. Both Daniel and Diane fell in love with the house. It had charm, character, space and beautiful gardens. Everything that they'd been looking for. Schools were easily within reach for when Susanna would be old enough to start and Daniel could commute to the office whenever he needed to. An offer was quickly put in and agreed, and a few months later, the family were moving in. At age two, Susanna was walking and talking, and it wasn't long before Diane noticed a few strange things. She would hear Susanna talking to someone in her bedroom, having full conversations, but there was nobody there. Night times became extremely tiring for both parents as Susanna became more and more restless and scared by someone who she called George. She would be absolutely terrified at night, even though she slept with the landing lights on just outside her room. As the next few years went by and Susanna started school, the sightings of George would become more intense and frightening. He was also now joined by a woman called Abby, and they would both regularly keep Susanna awake all night, affecting her moods and behaviour. Diane recalls many situations where Susanna would become extremely upset because neither her nor Daniel could see what she was seeing. As far as Susanna was concerned, George and Abby were real. Diane would feel completely helpless when her daughter would be pointing to Abby in the garden, pleading with her mother to make her go away, but she couldn't. Both Diane and Daniel began to worry about their daughter, but both in different ways. Diane was beginning to believe that maybe Susanna was actually seeing these people in the house and the grounds, while Daniel was becoming more and more irritated that nobody could see this situation for what it really was just imaginary friends. But it was a personal experience that Diane had in the house one day 
that really changed her mind and made her fully believe that Susanna was telling the truth. After getting home one afternoon, Susanna ran straight into the house while Diane was checking the post that had been delivered and placed in the post box at the entrance to the driveway. As Diane entered the house, she could hear loud running footsteps on the floors above her. Thinking that it was Susanna, Diane made her way up the stairs to tell her to keep the noise down and to stop running around. But Susanna wasn't running anywhere. She wasn't even upstairs. This experience made Diane approach the subject again with Daniel one evening. Diane told her husband about what had happened earlier in the house. She also voiced her belief that their daughter may be telling the truth about the sightings that she was experiencing. Daniel, however, wasn't impressed. Pressure at work wasn't helping the situation and he felt that coming home to stories of a haunted house were forcing a wedge between himself and Diane. Daniel freely admitted that their marriage began to suffer because of what was happening. He simply needed proof. If all of this was real and his family were experiencing these phenomena, then he needed evidence of George and Abby's existence, whether that was in this world or the next. It was around this time that Diane's next experience in the house would happen, and it would fully convince her that there was really something wrong. Diane said, It was around midnight one evening, and I was sat watching television downstairs in the living room when I suddenly and completely unexpectedly became very aware that I wasn't alone. The whole atmosphere inside the house became cold and dark, and I had a horrible feeling that something from outside had got into the house and was now with me in the room. It was as if I could feel this presence moving around the room until it eventually sat down next to me. I was absolutely petrified. Diane felt completely frustrated that both she and her daughter were having these experiences but Daniel wasn't encountering anything. But Diane's wish for the evidence that Daniel needed wouldn't be far away. Susanna continued to struggle as both George and Abby would appear to her all around the house. She would describe George as being tall with unkempt straggly hair, with dark deep-set eyes and a pale complexion, while Abby was shorter with dark bags under her eyes and black untidy hair. As the incidents continued to happen to both mother and daughter, Diane took a huge gamble to try to get some sort of grasp on what could be causing all of these disturbances. She was given the details of a psychic medium based in Portsmouth who asked her to send him an item which had personal meaning to Susanna. According to Diane, he didn't ask any more questions and said he would contact her once he had received the item. A few days later, Diane received a phone call from the psychic medium and what he had to say shocked her. She stood in disbelief as he told her that from the item he received from her, he could tell that there were two presences in their house. One male and one female. The male was an evil spirit who he felt had attacked the female when they were alive. It was his belief that the male still had control over the female, even in the world of spirit. 
just as Diane was beginning to understand what she may be dealing with, the medium told her another piece of information which nobody but the family could have known. That the male spirit was called George and the female was called Abby. Diane couldn't believe it. How could he have known this information? It was now her opinion that the only way to put an end to this situation was to hold an exorcism in the house. But would Daniel support this? Another conversation took place between both Diane and Daniel, but he still wanted proof before even considering letting someone enter their house to perform this ritual. Understandably, Daniel had doubts about what was going on. He hadn't seen anything, hadn't experienced anything, so he found it difficult to come to terms with what was beginning to rip the family apart. But that was about to change. It was Susanna's eighth birthday and the family decided to throw a party at the house. As Susanna's friends arrived, the house and garden began to fill up with children, adults and the happy sounds of people having a great time. A friend of Susanna's, a boy called Daniel, wandered into the house trying to find the toilet. As he wandered around, he found himself at the foot of the stairs. Feeling sure that the toilet was upstairs, he began to make his way up, only to be suddenly stopped in his tracks by the sight of an old woman dressed in black. Daniel recalls that this woman was not going to let him pass and blocked every attempt he made to go further up the stairs. He became very frightened so ran back downstairs screaming and crying. Hearing the disturbance coming from inside the house, Diane ran inside to find young Daniel completely inconsolable and extremely scared. After he'd been calmed down by his parents and Diane, he told them what he'd seen and showed them where he'd seen it. It was now apparent that whatever was haunting the house and the family, it was now making itself known to outsiders. According to Diane, whilst this encounter for young Daniel was terrifying, it was the reinforcement in her own beliefs of what she and Susanna had experienced that was all she needed. Diane's husband also couldn't deny the validity of this sighting either, a sighting that affected an innocent boy who had no idea what had been going on inside that house. Not long after this incident, Diane and Daniel spoke at length about what their next course of action should be. They spoke again about what the psychic had told Diane and even Daniel admitted that he felt the locals in the area weren't letting on everything that they knew about the house and the grounds that surrounded it. They both decided to finally turn to an exorcist to try and put an end to their misery. Daniel recalls that the ceremony took place early one afternoon, after he'd arrived home from leaving work early. It was agreed that this was something that Susanna shouldn't be part of, so she was taken out for a few hours by her grandmother. The exorcist went through every room of the house and felt confident that the process had cleansed the house completely. Daniel asked what the exorcist's success rate was, to which he replied, 90% but also that sometimes the ceremony could make matters worse. They were all hoping that this wasn't the case. Soon after, Susanna returned home and the whole family felt that the house was brighter, more welcoming, more friendly, 
and from out of the blue, Susanna told her mother that George and Abby had now gone to heaven. She never had any further sightings or experiences, and this was also the same for Diane. But their time at the house soon came to an end, after both Diane and Daniel felt that they needed a fresh start. Now, you'd think that this would have been the end of the story. After all, the Hodsons had moved to a new house a few miles away, in a different village, inhabited by different people. But there was another sting in the tale to come. Not long after moving in, Diana decided to invite her neighbour, Marnie Jones, over for a drink. As they chatted away about the village, its locals and some of their habits, Diane innocently made the comment that this would be a welcome relief compared to where they used to live. Taking an interest, Marnie asked what had happened, to which Diane said that they'd had a few issues. Diane told Marnie that they used to live in a village called West Broughton and was a little surprised by Marnie's reaction as she chuckled and asked if Diane was joking. No, Diane remarked. Why? She was stunned when Marnie said that she'd lived in the same village in the 60s when she was a child. She then asked where Diane had lived in the village. She said that they'd lived in the manor house by the village church. Then she saw the colour drain from Marnie's face. Then was utterly shocked to learn that Marnie and her family had lived in the same house. Diane just couldn't believe what she was hearing. And then an overwhelming fear began to grip her as the memories of what had happened to her and her family began flooding back. After asking Marnie whether she had experienced any strange phenomena in the house, she was yet again horrified to learn that Marnie's time there was packed with terrifying and nightmarish experiences. Marnie revealed that her parents had moved into the house in 1965 when she was just five years old and almost immediately after moving in, she felt that she had become targeted by a violent and evil entity. She told Diane that on a number of occasions, she would feel hands grip around her neck, attempting to strangle her. This entity would keep her awake at night and torment and terrify her, but it was the main staircase where she felt most threatened. Marnie said that as soon as she would put her foot on the bottom of the stairs, the entity would appear. At the top of the stairs, it was much, much worse, as this frightening spirit would attempt to push her down the staircase. She remembers vividly coming out of her room and running for the stairs and getting down them as quickly as possible. And what was the name that this entity was known as by Marnie? George. For our second story, we move from Sussex to the West Midlands and to another family who were also looking for a new start in their dream home. Julie and George were an everyday loving and happy couple who had a bright future ahead of them. With Julie being a science teacher and George an engineer, they were also becoming financially secure. In 1986, they decided to get married and set up home in a house on a Warsaw housing estate. Over the next few years, they welcomed two daughters, and life for the young family was everything that they dreamed of, apart from one small issue. With their family growing, they found themselves running out of space in their current home. It was time for a change. 
1994, they decided to make the move to a more rural location and to a house which could easily accommodate a growing family. Julie and George wanted this house to be their base for many years to come, and the location was a major plus point. Whilst it was in the countryside, it was still in the West Midlands, which meant that jobs and schools weren't going to be affected too much. The house was a large 18th century cottage with a thatched roof and bags of character. Julie remembers that when friends and family first saw it, they would often joke about it being so old that there was a good chance that it would be haunted. These comments would ring in Julie and George's ears for years to come. After only just a few days of being in the house, strange things began to happen. It started when eldest daughter Francesca was unpacking things in her bedroom. Her sister Katrina was outside in the garden with their mother, but Francesca was unaware of this at the time. She came out of her bedroom, walked along the landing to the top of the stairs and started to make her way down to the hallway. As she got to the 90-degree turn halfway down the stairs, something pushed her against the wall and then down the remaining stairs with a large amount of force. Francesca wasn't hurt, but was very angry and couldn't understand why her younger sister would do something like that to her when they didn't usually have arguments or fights. She heard Katrina and her mother in the garden and went out to confront her sister and ask her for an apology. Her mother immediately jumped to Katrina's defence, swearing that she'd been outside with her all afternoon. Julie had also been noticing things happening around the house as the days went by, like strange cold spots and drafts which would seem to appear from nowhere. No windows or doors would be open at all, but these extreme temperature fluctuations would happen on an almost daily basis now. Very dark, oppressive and ominous atmospheres would also invade various rooms throughout the house, making Julie feel extremely sad, withdrawn and also as if she was being watched. But it was an experience which she had on the stairs which really drove home to her that there was something very wrong with their dream home. Julie recalls that she was taking some clean laundry upstairs to be put away. There was nobody else in the house and all the doors and windows were closed. As she climbed the stairs, the all-too-familiar feelings of cold, dread and being watched descended. Then from nowhere, a force which felt like a large hand gripped Julie's face and forcefully pushed her against the wall. Somehow, she managed to stop herself from falling down the stairs and quickly ran up to one of the bedrooms where she tried to gather her composure but she was now certain that there was something in the house that didn't want the family there. Being a science teacher, Julie was always trying to find a rational explanation for the events that were taking place inside the family home, but she was really struggling to make sense of anything. There was also the problem of her husband George who, like Daniel in our previous story, didn't believe what was going on. As an engineer, he took the view that if he couldn't see or touch what the issues were, they simply didn't exist. Weeks turned to months, and the number of incidents kept increasing. Julie and her two daughters were taking the brunt of all of the happenings, 
but it was a terrifying experience which took place one night that finally pushed Julie into trying to get to the bottom of what was going on. Julie and George had gone up to bed and both fell asleep, when for some reason, Julie said that she woke up. As her eyes got used to the darkness, she saw George standing at the foot of the bed by the window. Something looked strange about him. She called to him, commenting that he must be freezing standing by the window, but he didn't answer. He just continued to stare. Julie began to panic and looked next to her in bed where George should have been. But there he was, fast asleep. So who was standing a few feet away from them? Julie screamed and this woke George up, who asked what the hell was going on. Julie pointed to the man at the foot of their bed, but he'd vanished. George commented that he had to be up very early for work in the morning and he didn't have time for all of this rubbish. He felt that all of this was getting out of hand and to make matters worse, both of their daughters came barging into their room saying that a strange man had been in their bedroom and had just disappeared. Was it the same man who Julie had just seen? Electrical problems started to plague the family as well as strange smells emanating from nowhere. Julie decided to try and find out a little more about the house and the village to see if this had any bearing on the frightening goings-on. At the local library, Julie started to do some digging around and found some extremely disturbing information regarding the history of the area and the cottage that they were living in. The village was rife with highwaymen who would steal from whoever they came across. The local village pub was a refuge for these violent criminals and to aid their escape when local lawmen came searching, a series of tunnels had been dug. And one of those tunnels led right to the cellar of Julie and George's idyllic country cottage. Julie also started to ask some of the village locals about the house and she found out that nobody had lived there for more than around 18 months because of the disturbances that they were now experiencing. The arguments between Julie and George were also becoming more intense and it wasn't long before Julie would be taking their daughters to stay at her mother's for a few nights every week. She didn't feel that she could speak to George anymore about the problems they were facing. He simply didn't believe them and thought it was all in their minds. But that was soon about to change. One evening, George was alone in the house when he heard and felt a tremendously hard and loud bang on the front door. He quickly made his way to the hall of the house and opened the front door to see nobody there and no evidence of anyone playing a trick. He closed the door and locked it and went to go back to the living room and all hell broke loose. Lights began to switch themselves on and off Pictures which had been hanging on the walls were being flung off and smashed to the floor. George couldn't believe what he was experiencing. He examined each picture frame and found the strings still intact on the back and the hooks still in the walls. What force could be doing this? He was now beginning to believe everything that his wife and daughters had been telling him. They were convinced that the main phenomena plaguing the house was a poltergeist, and it was this poltergeist that began to turn their daughters against each other, as well as Julie and George. They were all walking on eggshells, 
waiting for the next incident to take place. Julie especially felt that whatever was in the house was singling her out more than any of her other family members. She wanted to sell up and leave, but after getting the house valued, they realized that they would lose a substantial amount of money, and that was something that they just couldn't afford to do. So they were stuck. She felt that this entity was beginning to take her over, making her do things that were totally out of her character. And in one particularly shocking event, George came home to find Julie collapsed in the kitchen, surrounded by broken plates and dishes with blood all over the place. Julie's hands were badly cut and she had no recollection of any of the events even taking place. Things were beginning to get completely out of control and they were going to get worse. When George worked evening shifts, Julie and the girls would sleep in one bed to make sure they were all safe. Late one evening, when they were all asleep, Katrina was woken up by movement in the bed. She turned over to see that her mother was missing, but was then horrified to see her floating up near the ceiling, fast asleep and completely unaware of what was happening. Katrina began to scream out to her mother to come back down, and she watched in terrified amazement as her mother slowly drifted back down to the surface of the bed. Katrina's screaming then seemed to snap Julie out of her trance-like state, and after hearing what her daughter had just witnessed, she decided that enough was enough. Julie and the girls quickly grabbed some clothes and a few belongings and fled the house in the middle of the night. As they were throwing things in their car, lights were switching on and off all over the house. Knocking and banging noises could be heard from inside. It was complete and utter chaos. Julie and George's dream of the ideal country life had turned into a nightmare. They had desperately tried to beat whatever it was that was haunting the house, but it had won, and they couldn't put themselves or their children through any more incidents. Almost two years of staying with relatives and friends passed before they could sell the house, and this time they decided to relocate to a small village in Scotland and to a beautiful cottage. George had work lined up in Scotland and Julie soon began teaching again. Life was finally back to normal and the family feel that moving away and starting again was the best decision they have ever made. Just like in episode one of season three, we have two stories of families being haunted by entities in their dream homes. But again, they have ended completely differently with Diane, Daniel and Susanna choosing to have an exorcist rid their house of its ghostly inhabitants, but with Julie, George, Katrina and Francesca instead feeling that they couldn't take the situation any longer and choosing to put themselves through many hardships to start all over again. These stories and the people involved just go to prove over and over again that these phenomena can affect any family in any situation. And when they do happen, it's all down to how those involved cope with what is happening around them as to how the scenario plays out. To most of us, it's completely beyond our understanding what it must be like to be literally terrified by the paranormal, which not only wants to cause as much chaos as possible, but also wants to destroy the family unit. 
but we all must be very aware that events such as these in this episode can happen to any of us. And that's a truly terrifying thought. So next time, when you're reading about a family whose lives were turned upside down by a haunted house, try to have sympathy and compassion. Because the next family this could happen to could be yours. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect. And if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Pink Flamingo Music Productions in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com with your inquiry and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Scotland's history is ghoulish, ghastly, and at times downright gruesome. Who wouldn't want to hear more about it? If you're interested in learning more about Scotland's history, legends, and ghost stories, then the Generally Spooky podcast is for you. My name is Ailey, researcher, storyteller, and believer in ghosts. And my name is Kieran. I'm chief listener, provider of jokes, and Ailey's husband. And we are the co-hosts of the Generally Spooky podcast. Join us as we discuss things like the Loch Ness Monster, the Mackenzie Poltergeist, the Battle of Culloden, and so much more. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also find us for free on YouTube and over at our website, generallyspooky.com. We'll see you there. See you there.